Hello and welcome, y'all. You're listening to Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. I'm your host, Joel Mooneyhan, the pastor of community and spiritual formation at Atlanta Christian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. We're in the fourth week of Easter, and this week and next week, I want to take a look at two distinct encounters that people had with Christ after his resurrection and what those encounters show us today about who Christ is and how he works in the lives of others once they come to know him. Whoever you are, wherever this finds you, I hope you enjoy listening and that you walk away with something meaningful to take with you. And now, without further ado, here we go. One of the most interesting things about Jesus is his ability to reveal himself to people in the best way for them to see him. He's skilled at personal context, and by that I mean he has a way of knowing just which route is the best way to the heart of a person. If you've ever had a job that required you to be on the road, then you know how important it is to familiarize yourself with all the highways, side streets, and cut-throughs to help navigate to your destination. If there's a traffic jam on the interstate or a roadblock up ahead, a skilled traveler will know which exit to take or which surface street to turn on in order to get around it. When planning a trip, they'll know the best route given the time of day and plan around that. If you're driving in the city, you'll know you'll be able to go a little faster. If you're on a country road in the mountains, then you know you have to take a slower pace. But you know by looking at the map and seeing the kind of road ahead how you're going to have to drive to get where you're going. In the same way, Jesus knows the road to each of us, and he makes the trip accordingly. For some people, they find that Jesus comes out of nowhere, fast and strong and unmistakable. They encounter Jesus in a flash of light. It's Jesus on a highway, in a fast car, blowing right past us and then cutting us off. Others may find that Jesus seemed to have taken a slower pace. Things are moving along like normal, and then gradually they realize that Jesus is before them and has actually been there all along. This is Jesus on a country road. When you zone out for a while and then you look up in the rearview mirror and think, how long has that car been there? After Jesus' resurrection, he makes two distinct appearances similar to these. In one instance, he comes screaming out of nowhere and disrupts everything. And in another, he walks beside people for an entire day before they realize who he is. In both cases, no matter how Jesus shows up, No one walks away from the encounter unchanged. Here is one of those stories. Saul of Tarsus was nobody's fool, and he prided himself on that. A member of the religious elite in Israel, he had credentials, and he would later make a record of his accomplishments. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with Jewish custom. He was from the right family and had ascended to the ranks of the Pharisees, who were experts in the Jewish faith. And his knowledge of the law was matched only by his conviction in defending it, a matter we'll get to in a moment. As far as the law allowed for the remission of sin by performing actions, he kept it, 
and in that regard, he was perfect. He had everything going for him, an impressive education, a career he was passionate about, and a good moral life. He was proud of it, and who wouldn't be? We all love the idea that our hard work pays off and that our accomplishments mean something and that we are good, moral people. Our society is built on that kind of gritty, hardworking ethic, and we don't take too kindly to having someone or something interrupt that. So imagine Saul's disdain when a heresy took hold in the faith that he had poured his whole life into. A new belief had sprung up in a few delusional radicals that the Messiah had indeed come, and far from a gallant and heroic king who conquered the enemy by force, this purported Messiah was the heretic Jesus of Nazareth who had been shamefully executed on a cross by the Roman government. Anyone with any knowledge of Scripture would know that the Messiah is not killed by his enemies, but vanquishes them. And what's more, these radicals said that he had been bodily raised from the dead, a thing which everybody knew doesn't happen until the end of time. Not only was this an affront to Saul's sensibilities as an educated member of the tribe of Benjamin, but it had the more immediate effect of undermining his authority and the authority of others in his position. No one, least of all a dead criminal, had the right to take that away. Now imagine his surprise when, en route to attend to his business as a Pharisee confronting this new heresy of a crucified and risen Messiah, he is struck with blindness and knocked to the ground. Enveloped in darkness, definitely dirty from the ground, and likely sore from the fall, the very next thing he hears is a stranger's voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who was that? Saul said. He'd never heard that voice before. Name yourself. The voice said, I am Jesus the one you're persecuting. Now get up. I've got a new mission for you. Now, Saul had a reputation among the followers of Jesus. He was a man of authority, a man of status, and a man to be feared. He had already presided over the execution of a follower of Jesus, a man named Stephen, the first martyr for the faith. And in presiding over that execution, Saul had drawn a very clear line. Followers of Jesus were not to be tolerated, even if it meant violence and murder. Once that line was drawn, it kicked off a new wave of violence to follow. Believers scattered and ran for their lives, all except the few who had claimed to have encountered the risen Jesus themselves. Saul presided over a rampant and deliberate persecution of the followers of Jesus, dragging people from their homes and putting them in prison for their heresy. He was clearly not a man to be trifled with, and his influence was hard to escape and even harder to mitigate. So imagine the surprise of a man named Ananias, who was told in a vision to go seek out Saul and teach him about Jesus. 
And imagine the skepticism of other believers of Jesus when Saul all of a sudden begins proclaiming his new allegiance to the risen Christ. Surely this is a trick, they must have thought. He's spying on us. He'll turn us over to prison or have us killed. This isn't the Lord's man, that's impossible. This man who had our friend killed, who's coming to our homes and rounding us up, is not someone Jesus would use. And Ananias even says as much to the Lord in his vision. I can't go to Saul. I've heard of him, and you've heard of him. He's dangerous to us, he hates you, and he won't listen to me. But the Lord says, you let me worry about Saul. I'll show him what he needs to do, but I need you to go help acquaint him with me. Jesus comes to some of us in a flash of blinding light. He's disruptive, inconsiderate, throwing our best laid plans to the side in order to call us to new purposes. Sometimes it's the wickedness in our hearts and the depths to which we sin that Christ yanks us out of without warning. Other times it isn't that we're particularly controversial, but we're wrapped up in ourselves, our aspirations, and our nice, inoffensive, pretend morality. Even when we're sure of ourselves, utterly persuaded by our convictions, and set in our ways, Jesus slams into us, knocks us into the dirt, and says, That's all well and good, but now you know who I am, and I have something new in mind for you. Are you coming? And sometimes, from the outside looking in, it's hard to trust that someone who we have seen behave one way for so long can be so drastically changed in an instant. We know who they are, what they've said, what they've done. We've seen their ambitions and their goals, and it's hard to reconcile these old realities to the new one. Surely that person is just making a show of their experience. Surely they're just saying something that sounds nice for the sake of a good story. But they can't possibly be sincere. Christ wouldn't go there, and even if he did, he couldn't possibly make that kind of change that fast. I know that person. They're a lost cause. And then Jesus says to us, you let me worry about them. How about you go help them along while they get started? Ananias indeed goes on to meet Saul and help instruct him in the life and teachings of Jesus. And Saul is later so devoted to his call to bring the gospel to Gentiles that he begins using the Roman version of his name, Paul. This all the better to relate to those he encounters for the sake of the gospel. And in his ministry, his life did not get easier for proclaiming Christ. He suffered greatly because of his newfound faith. But those who doubted him at first would hardly doubt him later. His whole identity shifts, and his life is never the same. Encountering Jesus is sometimes like that. It's unexpected, and it upends everything we think we know. 
It drastically shifts our values, it resets our perspectives, and it happens fast. For those who it happens to, it can be frightening. It's blinding, it may leave them in darkness, and more often than not, life seems to go on like normal. Jesus' presence is not an escape from hardship or a guarantee that every moment will be a mountaintop from then on out. But it's a comfort in the middle of hardship and a thing that gives otherwise meaningless and mundane parts of our lives a greater purpose. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, without any warning. If you think you're too far gone, or if you think you've got it all figured out, or if you want nothing to do with Jesus and think that Jesus wants nothing to do with you, you might be surprised. Jesus has a talent for disruption. And when you encounter him, it's better to lean into the experience and to seek the help of those who know the road and can help you navigate it. And for those believers who see it happen in others, our call is not to cast doubt or to respond with cynicism, but to encourage and strengthen them as they adjust to the sudden and unexpected encounter with the risen Christ. Those who encounter Jesus this way are often left stunned and blinded by the light. We have a responsibility to help them learn to see clearly with new eyes. What happens after that? Well, that's Christ's concern. But I can tell you that he has never, ever given up on that which he saved. Easter is the proof of that. Easter is the proof that the risen Christ is powerful enough to turn even the most committed enemy into a devoted friend. And his desire is to mend the wounds, not just between us and him, but between us and each other. And in doing so, grace and mercy will spread, love will abound, and people will know who Christ really is. That, my friends, is redemption. That is good news. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of Southern Reverend. I've been your host, Joel Mooneyhan. I want to give special thanks to my very good friend, Andrew Vickery, who provided all the music on this week's episode. And if you'd like to hear more of his songwriting, I'll include the link to his Reverb Nation page in the episode description. If you'd like to hear or read more from me, you can find me at www.southernreverend.com. You can follow me on Instagram at the handle Southern Reverend and also on facebook.com slash Southern Reverend. If you enjoyed this podcast, then there are more episodes on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I would certainly love it if you shared it with a friend or family member or someone who you go to church with or anybody who you think might enjoy it. And come back next week for the second part of this two-part arc in the Eastertide series. Thank y'all again for listening. Y'all take care and be good to one another.